Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. This podcast is designed to be a thought-provoking journey through the scriptures. Every weekday, my friend and fellow pastor Barney Estes and I walk through the Word of God verse by verse. As always, we'd love to know your thoughts about today's episode. You can hit us up at Pierce Point Church on Facebook or Instagram. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, here we are again, and today we are jumping into the great book of Acts. Um, we're going to we're gonna be walking through this just as we have the, the Gospel of Luke. We're going to go through verse by verse, and we're going to try to understand these key principles that we learn through each verse, through each chapter. And we're going to be going through this, understanding a very important principle uh, it's a principle that I have spent a lot of time working through when I'm reading uh, the book of Acts, and that is asking the question, the principle of whether or not something is prescriptive versus whether or not something is descriptive. And what that means, just in a nutshell, is when we're reading the text of Scripture, are we discovering something that is prescribed for us to do? Or are we simply reading something that was a description of what took place in redemptive history? And uh, sometimes that's easy to discern. Sometimes that's complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes we grow up in traditions where we get it completely wrong and it changes a lot about what we believe. It, it really affects our belief and our practice deeply. But we'll get to that. Just keep that as a nugget in your, in your brain as we go through this and, um, and we'll just walk through it. So starting at verse one, yeah. what stands out to you? Sir? Yeah, I just want to go back and kind of give a just a quick rundown of Luke because Luke wrote the book of Acts and we've been dealing with Luke and we we had probably thought we had said everything we could say about uh, about Luke and and we really haven't. Luke is a is 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 certainly uh, uh, an interesting guy. His his writing and his his level of detail. We talked about all that, but when he starts to write Acts, the the book of Acts takes up exactly where Luke's gospel left off. Uh, we're going to see here in, in just a few minutes that the first eleven verses of Acts deal with primarily that forty day period when Jesus was risen and hadn't ascended to the Father. Now, here is something that I hadn't noticed before I started looking through this and. Luke, we we don't. Uh, uh, he was apparently a very humble man. He, here he has written uh, over uh, over a fourth of the entire New Testament was from Luke, and none of his writings he 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 uh, mentions himself by name, not a single time in in the book of Luke or here in the book of Acts. We never see that he is mentioning himself by name. So, just some interesting things about him. But we're, we're about to read what I think is some of the most exciting uh, uh, rundown of what was going on in the first century church that, that we can ever read. Absolutely. As we jump into those first uh, few verses, it is important to recognize that Luke does something unique in his writings. And he, he writes, uses a form in his writings um, called a literary prologue. And so the interesting thing about these these 
this the use of a literary prologue in this time was that it suggested something of the writer, and that was that he was producing uh, he was a, he was producing a work for a learned public or a people who knew something. Of course, that tells us, I think, a little bit more about Theophilus than his name's going to tell us. Mm -hmm. Uh, His name means a lot of things, and I'm sure we're going to get into those things. But but it's really important to understand that whoever Theophilus was and whatever whatever is... is meant maybe by his name. The point here is that he was a learned individual and Luke was writing uh, for a learned person. So he was producing literature for the public in this capacity. Now, what's really intriguing about uh, Luke starting with a literary prologue, as well as Acts starting with a literary prologue, is that it draws a necessary link a connection between these two writings. Mm-hmm. So although although it's debated among scholars whether or not Luke and Acts were always together as one unit or whether or not they were intended to be as one unit, it doesn't that's it's largely an irrelevant argument in that what we do know, it was written by the same guy these prologues say that it was a continuation of sorts no matter what. And now we have this great book that uh, that Theophilus understands. Now, if we remember from the book of Luke, we remember why all of this was written, and that was for him to have a, uh, a defense for the faith that he held. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is proof of mm-hmm. what he has been taught. So and, just important facts. Yeah, and he, he, he wanted to give a very accurate account of everything that was done. He is even known among uh, many of the ancient uh, historians as one of the great historians because of his of, yes. of the way that he wrote his attention to detail and wanting to get this thing right and he did write to a his his writing does indicate that first of all he seemed to be a very uh, well learned man he he had a great command they see now Greek scholars will tell you that his command of the Greek of the Greek language was 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 quite amazing. So yeah. they, 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 we don't know. We only know that his name was a Greek name. So they always think that that's probably he was a Greek uh, by birth. But he had, he had learned a lot of things. He knew a lot of things about not just the Gentiles and the Greeks and, and all of those things, but he had obviously had, had learned a lot uh, and knew a lot about the Jews and yes. their practices. So. Yeah. Very, very interesting man to read Absolutely. from. Absolutely. So one of the one of the key components of these literary prologues or these prefaces to the writing is that any continued work will often uh, would sum up, not often would sum up what the previous work had addressed or had covered in that uh, in its account. And so we're going to see that right right off the bat. It says in verse 1, the first account I composed Theophilus about all uh, the first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Right there he's saying, here's what the first thing did mm-hmm. until the day in which he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. And we just read that. We just talked about that in the last podcast. Verse 3, to these 
He also presented himself alive. That's another significant detail that mm-hmm. we, we stressed the last podcast. He, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. Now, what is amazing is that this ties in the conjecture we had from yesterday, which is how many people had he appeared to to prove himself. Here we read, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. That is the disciples, the apostles, this continued amount. We're going to read in the book of Corinthians that he appeared to over 500. It's just an amazing thing. But the duration of that appearance we see in verse 3 was over a period of 40 days, and he was speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, a couple of those pieces, we might wonder, well, I need to know what he was talking about because I want to know more about the kingdom of God. Well, in many ways, he was confirming that all that he had said about the kingdom of God was true. Why? Because his physical life had been resurrected. He had been raised from the dead. He is who he claimed to be. He was Messiah, King Jesus. And so that, in in my rendering of this, is largely what he was contending for when he was teaching them things concerning the kingdom of God. There, There is more that is possible in his teaching, and that could be what we read in many of the epistles. He was teaching them concerning the kingdom of God. So when we hear Peter say things like, you've been given everything you need pertaining to life and godliness, it could be that during this 40-day period, that was a kingdom principle that Jesus himself wanted Peter to know. And so Peter shares that with us, and and maybe more when we talk about um, when we talk about the inspiration of what was given to James and and so on down the line. It's pretty powerful. It is. It is. And I I I like the fact that you brought up a little bit about who he's writing to, uh, this fellow Theophilus, who we don't know a lot about him. Uh, we know that in in the book of Luke he'd called him. Uh, I think it was most excellent. Uh, so 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 he was obviously. Uh, had a, 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 a high office, and they many people believe that he was some type of a Roman official. Some, some he it seemed to be that he was a uh, he was a high standing official within the Roman government, and 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 his name uh, there's there's you, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That is uh, means a, a lover of God or God lover. Uh, so uh, there's but but this man obviously uh, was eager to know more about Jesus and understand more about what this was about. And who better to do this than, than a guy that understood if, 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 in fact, this man was a Greek or uh, was a Gentile, who better to understand that the man, than a man that understands both languages? He obviously understood the Greek, but it seems to, that, he, that he understood a lot of things about the, the Aramaic and Hebrew and understand the practices of the Jews of that day. Drawing back to that piece from Luke's gospel of most excellent Theophilus really does seem to prove the point that we uh, derive from literary style. Again, you have these prefaces, you have these, you have these uh, prologues, and in that we have 
the knowledge that these would have been written to a learned public, most excellent Theophilus, most likely a high-ranking official, therefore a learned individual. Again, uh, lover of God or loved by God, some people contend. There are scholars out there that want to um, want to believe that this was some sort of, um, this wasn't a real individual, but it was some sort of picture of... Um, of the quintessential Christian, the lover of God. And so Luke was writing to all of them. But there is no documentation that would back this up. And as a matter of fact, we have documentation on the other end that would tell us that Theophilus was actually a well-documented name during this time. So so that lends more to the idea that this is a, a real individual. So after verse 3, um, he talks about presenting himself to these uh, apostles over the period of 40 days. Verse 4 says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me. Uh, so he's quoting Jesus at this point. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it the is it this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, there's a lot to be said about that question again, but uh, we're, all we're reading here is is yet again a re-rendering of Luke 24. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the same thing repeated. Now, what, what the gap is between these letters, the, these writings, we don't know, um, but we can conclude that this letter doesn't appear till after all of Paul's missionary journeys, because right. that's what they inc- yeah. that's what they include. So, if the gospel appears, if the gospel of Luke appears somewhere around seventy A.D., it's you know it's clear that this can appear way later uh, than that, um, or you know in some rough time from from that. So, uh, again, there's debates on all of those things, but it's just those are components that are worth keeping in your mind as you're trying to interpret. When was this written? Well, mm-hmm. what we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is you can't write the story unless the story has happened. Exactly. So exactly. this has happened after this gets written down along the way and after Paul has done all of his great yeah. work for the kingdom of God. Absolutely. Luke was a, a companion of Paul. Paul Paul talks about him. He was the one that coined the the descriptive term, the beloved physician, when he, when he was talking about Luke. So we know that he traveled with Paul. We know that uh, there were many of the things that he wrote about in Acts that he experienced himself. Some of the others were things that were told to him that had happened. But, uh, but yeah, I think once again, we are, we are at the point where we see, as we go down through just the verses that we've talked about, he is intent on helping people understand exactly what it was that Jesus had said to them. He wants them to be sure that they yes. understood that what he's commanded is, is going to happen. He's very precise in his language, and that's that, that, that style of the, of the attention to detail to not, let, not give you a lot of room for conje- conjecture on your own part. He pretty much tells you what he wants you to know from it. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Absolutely. Verse 4 uh, leaves us with a, or leads us into an interesting uh, Greek interpretation of the verse. The, the text in English, in the NASB, is rendered, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait 
for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. Now, that uh, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem is actually literally rendered, like if it was really kind of janky and harsh to read, it would be rendered, stop departing from Jerusalem. Mm. Um, And what does that mean? It just simply means that at the time, what that implies is that at the time the apostles and the disciples were going in and out they were they were coming into the holy city they were leaving the holy city they you know doing all these different things and maybe there's a lot of reason for it maybe maybe there's questions maybe there's confusion we're going to actually see that question in verse 6 here in a second but question and confusion. Jesus has appeared to them. Sure, now they're excited about it. and Now they know that their Savior is risen. We read that in Luke 24, but uh, they've been instructed now, okay, you need to, you need to hold in to the city. You need to stop uh, departing from Jerusalem. You need to stick it out uh, until my spirit falls upon you. So just an interesting piece for, uh, for language. So in verse 6, though, uh, well, in verse 5, uh, Jesus reiterates, Luke records Jesus' reiteration that John baptized with water, but that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's really understand what Jesus has said here. Uh, first of all, Luke said that this is what Jesus said when Jesus had appeared to them. So let's remember where that is in the storyline. We're not dealing with another uh, message come down from heaven after Jesus had ascended. This was when Jesus had appeared to them. He told them that John had baptized with water, but that he, but that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, this was the promise that Jesus had made from early on in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. The idea was that John had a baptism. What was that baptism? It was a baptism of repentance. Jesus was going to come and baptize them in the Holy Spirit and fire. This is not talking about a secondary baptism here. This is talking about the baptism that Jesus intended to baptize them with. Okay, You notice... Although water continues on into our baptism because repentance still continues on into our baptism moving forward. The idea is that nobody in the modern church today talks about being baptized in John's baptism first Mm -hmm. and then in Mm -hmm. another baptism because Jesus never said so. What was said was John baptized one way, but I made a promise. And here was my promise that I am coming. Jesus is coming to baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. The baptism that we are baptizing people into when they come into our churches today is not first John's baptism and then what Jesus talked about. It's simply not how you read this text. Nobody baptizes in quote unquote John's baptism anymore. If we are talking about the baptism using water, and that people repent of their sins, we see the same thing happen for the Ethiopian eunuch uh, and Philip later on in the book of Acts. So water continued on. Repentance is always the call of the gospel. Repent and believe. It's always the call. But what we see in verse 5 is the very promise that was made at the beginning of the gospels. Jesus is coming to baptize 
the way God intended it. This is what is meant at the end of Matthew 28. Go into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you uh, all of all of those days. The, the idea is this is what Jesus was commanding. This is what Jesus had promised. And this is what Jesus was going to bring. Yeah. He, he was fully uh, following through with everything that not only he had told them, but but what God, the Father, I I I missed something in my first reading of this, and and I I, I had to go back to it for a second. In 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 verse four, he says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had had promised. Yes, and I thought, no, wait a minute, Jesus had promised it, but he says wait for what the Father. And I thought, I, that's easy. He said, if you've seen me, you have seen the, yes. the Father. And and they're in complete coordination. Jesus doesn't promise so, something that God is not going to do. Absolutely. And that is, I, I, I really love that because when, when I first read through it, I, I'm, li- I'm like, wait a minute. He says he promised it. Then he says the Father promised it. Well, of course that's true. He and the Father are one. And that is, so it, it was so good. But I love what you've said about the baptism because it is, it, it is something that comes up, I think, quite often. And I think people get confused about the different baptisms and all of the things. And we're going to get a lot more into that as we get oh, into yes, Acts we are. About, about, about baptized with the Holy Spirit that he talks about in in John in uh, in in uh, chapter five here in Acts uh, I'm sorry uh, chapter one verse five, but uh, and he's explaining to them something there in verse five that he's talking about what's going to happen because he said it's not many days from now it's yep. it's it's coming soon exactly so yeah, just, I love that just to confirm those pieces that I shared earlier about the promise of this baptism coming uh, Luke three sixteen John answered and said to them all. As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Mark chapter 1, 8, the beginning of Mark's gospel, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Matthew 3.11 and John 1.33, at the beginning of all of these gospels, what we have is a promise of what Jesus comes to baptize people into, which is the Holy Spirit and fire. And that, again, is the very commission that Jesus sends the church out with to go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another really important connection while we're talking about this is this dividing of the of baptisms. People people want to assert that there's a there's a baptism of of belief, then there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit, then there's a baptism of sanctification. I mean, I've heard many, many forms of these kinds of things. But in that great debate of being baptized into salvation, but then, and many people will call that being baptized in the name of Jesus, and then others will say being baptized in the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, right? We got to get that one down. But uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit later, all of that fails to think through a very logical question, which is, well, where's the third baptism, which is the baptism of the Father? Because yes. that wasn't what was intended. 
This is a modern reading of something that everybody in the Old Testament or everybody in this time, in ancient times, did not think through. Uh, We say this all the time. Reading our world into their world is dangerous because it will lead you to all kinds of strange ideas that simply don't pan out in the text. And again, as you said, we're going to get to more of it, uh, and I'm sure that I'll, I'll get many emails about it, but it's yeah. okay. <laughs> so, so John baptized with water, that's, that's the baptism of John. We're going to see a story in, in the book of Acts where uh, Jesus asks, or the, the disciples ask the question, Who, what baptism were you baptized in? And they're going to answer that, and he's going to correct yes. them and change it and baptize them into Jesus, which yes. is with the Spirit, yes. right? So we're going to see that juxtaposition here in a little while. But uh, he and then promises that Jesus is coming. And then there's this verse 6, which is back to this question. I, I shared this a while ago that we were going to get there, and it's taken me a little while. <laughs> verse 5 has a lot to it, just to yes, be honest with you. So verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Even after all of this... And remember what he taught them. You just We just read that he had taught them things concerning the kingdom of God. And their question after all of this is, is this a time when you're going to kick everybody's tails? Yeah, yeah. Right? Or is this a time when you're going to run the tanks into town and, and take this thing out? It, it just shows you that the process of maturity, the process of learning and growing, even in the face of a risen Jesus takes time. Oh my goodness. It just takes time. And I love that God is gracious with them because yes. he could have just elbow dropped them. I mean, why, <laughs> why mess with these people? So but. Jesus had been pretty clear with them. Uh, we, we just read in Luke, uh, in uh, back just a, just a, a week or so back in Luke 22, they knew that Jesus was instituting a new, a new covenant. They they knew all that, and they had asked him at length. He had told them in graphic detail what it was and what it was not. And it seems as though that when they get here, they've completely forgotten about all that. They've completely, it's like, uh, do you even remember what he just said to you? And has no. it been that long ago, maybe three weeks ago? Did, no. did you forget what Jesus said? I, I think how many times, how many times do we... Do we see something or read something that God is clearly giving us an understanding from his scripture? Or even sometimes if a preacher will say something that is clearly from God and from the scripture, and we like, oh yeah, that's great. And we walk, we turn around and a half hour later, it's gone. It's gone. Yes. And it seems like that's what these guys are doing. It's Lord, a really, is it time, is this time you're going to restore yeah. the kingdom to Israel? That's a really good illustration because you've, you've heard many people lament, I heard this on Sunday morning yep. and I went out to dinner and forgot all of it yes. and then made a fool of myself. So yeah, I, I do love that point because we are, we're very uh, dull. Yeah. Let's just put yeah. it that way. So verse seven says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority. So this sounds like familiar language, that same language that talks about his return and all of these things. When will these things happen? Says, no man knows the day or the hour, not even the yes. son of man. In this, he goes, it's, you don't need to know this either. Yep. You don't need to know what's happening here. Um, now, what, what is amazing about this is 
paralleling the answer with the question. The question is, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He did. They did not ask, is it at this time that your kingdom comes? It, they didn't ask, is it at this? He'd already told them, my kingdom has come. Yeah. You, you are, you're standing here, you're with me, you're in my kingdom. What they asked was, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Yes. This is the defiance of, this is the defiance against Rome. This is the settling of that score going on here. And Jesus does not say that will never happen. He right. actually says, he implies, it is going to happen. You just don't know when. Yes. Isn't that powerful? It is so, powerful. So he says, it is not for you to know the times or epochs when the fa- which the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, it's done. Yeah. But, but you don't need to know that time. Verse 8, here's what you do need to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And we're going to need to carry this in through the whole book of Acts to understand what happens here. He says, you shall be my witnesses. You're going to be witnesses. You're going to give testimony. You're going to preach the gospel. It's, that means you're going to need some boldness to do this. But here's the deal. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, there's the first, and in all Judea, there's the second. And Samaria, there's the third, and even to the remotest parts of the earth, that's the fourth, which is a, a, a phrase that means to the Gentile world, mm-hmm. to the greater mm-hmm. Gentile yes. world. Um, we render that as to the remotest parts of the earth, meaning going to some sort of um, third world country. Yes, that includes that. But to them, their world, they heard, we're going to go from Jerusalem, the holy city. We're going to go to Judea. That's the surrounding district. We're going to go to Samaria. And then we're going to take this to the remotest. We're going to take this to the Gentiles. That's what they're hearing with all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that you pointed out, and by the way, that, that word epochs, that's just seasons or it's it's a, just another word for seasons, but it, Jesus knew that first of all, it, it, he he wasn't going to outline line them a two thousand year plan here at right here now. I mean, God he says God's already set that in place as you've said, but he he knew it wasn't wise to go into this. these guys were didn't didn't even completely understand the whole context of everything, and I'm I'm I, I was. Glad that you pointed out that Jesus didn't say that there wasn't going to be some type of restoration, and and we he didn't say that there were, that that wouldn't happen at all. He simply tells them that them speculating on the time and the date of that restoration it's it's none of uh, none of your concern right now. Yeah. You you have way more things to be concerned about, and then. He goes right on to explain to them what those concerns are and what they can do something yes. about, what they should be doing, not wondering when it's going to, ha- going to happen, but doing the things that it takes to bring it to pass, at least in their day and time. Yeah. This challenges us to go back into the Gospels when we hear this phrase of Jesus that says, you know, people are going to say, oh, here it is or there it is. He says, don't listen to those people. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to those people. Why does he talk about this? Well, there, there's a lot in that text, but what I want to draw our attention to is it seems that what he's saying is listen to the relevant matter now. Mm-hmm. Here's your job. Don't worry about mine, <laughs> right? Your job, be my witnesses. Your job, wait for power to do that witnessing well. 
my job, come back and restore the kingdom to Israel. But that comes in the Father's time. That comes mm-hmm. in, this, in the epochs that he has set forward in redemptive history. So, so I think Jesus would say that to us a lot today as well, which is, so just bring this to a practical real world level. I think he would say on principle, do what I've commanded you to do mm-hmm. and let me take care of the future. I think he tells us this when we're worrying about things, which of course is extremely relevant in our current crisis. You know, we're sitting here in the middle of this of this global pandemic and God would say to us, "You be about my father's business. I'll take care of the other things. You worry about what you need to worry about, and, and by worry I mean concern yourself with your job." I'll concern myself with my job. Mm-hmm. But if you concern yourself with my job, you're not doing your job. Absolutely. That's the issue. So I, I, I've, had, I've, I've had God really prompt that on my heart many times in my life where I, I read the scripture and there's conviction that comes over my heart that says, hey, Nathan, ignore this. Do your job. Yes. You focus on your job. So what was their job? Their job was not to worry about the uh, about the epochs and and when the kingdom would be restored to Israel. Their job was to go stay put in Jerusalem till the Spirit of God fell on them, till they were baptized with what Jesus promised he would do, mm-hmm. baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, and then they would be his witnesses mm-hmm. in Jerusalem, Judea. So get wait. Get filled with power. Get the get the baptism that you're looking that I have promised, and go. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, that's what we're called to do. Something that's always amazed me is that how much when we read this, the scripture, we think we we read and hear some of the things that these guys were saying at the time, and we're not. They're not so much unlike us in in the sense that they have the same misconceptions yeah. when it uh, when it comes to Jesus and what he's saying. For example, we talked about with the restoring the kingdom. I mean, they had in their mind, they had a certain frame of reference for that. They saw power and the kingdom as they they they, they could look at the Roman Empire and see that 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 was what they thought of when they thought of the kingdom and the power and restoring everything. They thought it was going to be that kind of power. They didn't understand that Jesus was talking about the kind of power that God employs. And and Jesus has been trying to explain to them this whole time that that's what he's talking about. And when he says in verse 8, I really love this. Verse 8, it's kind of the sentence is kind of left over from 7, where where he says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. It wasn't, it didn't seem at this point like a command. It's a simple statement of fact. He's telling them something. I've already told you what you're going to do. <laughs> so that's what you're going to do. Yeah. This is it. You, you, you're going to be witnesses. These were, the, the, the words are what uh, and, and, I, and I love that you brought out the, the type of writer because that Luke is because these are indicative, not imperative words. It's already he's already they've already been told. Yes. This indicates something they already knew. 
Yes, absolutely. And so it's really vital that we continue to keep our minds wrapped on or focused, wrapped around, focused on two things. The question that they're asking is not, when is your kingdom coming? Their question is, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The kingdom had come. The kingdom was now and not yet, if you will. That it was was inaugurated, it wasn't consummated yet. That's what a lot of theologians like to say. In this situation, there was a restoration to Israel. That centers our focus that yet again, this was not a new religion. They viewed themselves firmly within the story of Israel and Israel and the kingdom being restored to Israel. So that's an important thing. And then the second uh, component to all of this uh, was what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to wait for power, but this was this was the baptism that Jesus had promised. Now, this is descriptive. We talked about this at the outset. This is descriptive, and here's why we can prove that this is descriptive. Because not one of us is told to go wait in Jerusalem. Right. We're not told to go wait and find our place in Jerusalem. And for us to try to divide the word of truth unfaithfully to say, well, this part is prescriptive while this part is descriptive is to be someone picking and choosing. Mm -hmm. It does not command us to do this anywhere else in scripture. What we see here is the apostles, the disciples being told, you quarantine yourself, using really interesting words right now, but you quarantine (laughs) yourself in Jerusalem, you don't leave that city, and you wait for power because here's what's coming. My spirit's coming, and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. So this is descriptive. Keep those things in our mind as we move forward. Yeah. I love that, and for those of this, just just to reiterate what you've said, when 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 you talk about the prescriptive piece, this is something that is being. If if there's a prescriptive thing, it is prescribed to us as and so and you ought it, to do this, Barney. Exactly right, and just so that no one you know misinterprets that. And but and and then the descriptive piece, it's telling us something that was going. That's going to happen. It describes a situation yes. that 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 has hap- that is going to ha- to happen. In the in this case, he's telling them something that's just going to happen in a few days. So yeah. So so for example, we have no problem understanding that the descriptor at the the prologue of this great book is to a man named Theophilus. It's describing who he's writing it to. You can't derive a prescription from that unless we're only allowed to talk to a guy named Theophilus about these matters. So So we have a very clear description of something that has happened. Meanwhile, throughout the book of Acts, we will find things that are prescriptive in their principled form, and that is how a Christian ought to live. Of course we're to to obey those principles and those ideas. But in this case, what we're dealing with is Jesus told a group of people in a first century context what to do, where to do it, and what was about to happen. We've got to keep our minds firmly rooted on that. So then verse 9 says, After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold... Two men in white clothing stood beside them. Man, we keep seeing these two guys over and over. 
stood beside him, and they looked up and said, what you looking at? Yeah. No. So actually they did, but still. So uh, as they were gazing intently into the sky, the two men clothed beside them came up and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. This is where we get the idea of him coming in the clouds. He's coming. He is going to return uh, one day. What a powerful image. But here, I believe, articulates the very first clear rendering that course, we have hindsight, so we see it clear, sure. but the clearer rendering that communicates Jesus's return someday. Yeah. He has to go before he can come back. So in this case, he is going away and he's going to return. And these two men here, uh, that's an interesting piece in and of itself. So yes. what's your thoughts there? Well, he, he says, uh, when he says that j- this 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 Jesus, not some other, not some fake, not some phony that's going to come later on, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way. Just the same way is interesting wording that 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 uh, that that these seemingly, I guess, angels had said to these guys. But what they were, it seems to me, what they're saying to them is, look, you're 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 looking up into the sky and it's like. Oh wow, he's being taken, and I, I guess we would all have done that. But he is like, why do you stand there gazing? Well, we've never seen anything quite like this before. That would be number one reason. No, the, the it seems to me that these angels say, "Look, d- uh, did you hear what Jesus just said? Yeah, <laughs> you, you need to get on your trail here to Jerusalem because he just told you do what he says, obey what he says." You put your attention in the right place. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I love. I love that. I it it just constantly highlights how dull we are. <laughs> it's, just, it's just absolutely amazing. So there are a couple of New Testament passages that are amazing to communicate. Amazing in that they communicate what is really happening with Jesus's ascension here. This is him being taken up in glory. In First Timothy three sixteen, we read Paul write to uh, to at that time. Uh, his young son in the faith by common confession verse 3 chapter 3 verse 16 by common confession great is the mystery of godliness who uh, he who was revealed in the flesh Jesus come incarnate was vindicated in the spirit seen by the angels proclaimed among the nations believed on in the world taken up in glory so right there what we know happens here is Jesus's ascension in glory. 1 Peter chapter 3.21 talks about this similar thing. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and this grand ascension that we're going to see with this. So all of this is communicated in, it, this was very understood among the first believers. So Timothy is taught this by Paul. Everybody understands this. This is what takes place here. The two men is interesting to me because, of course, these two men seem to appear many times in Scripture. 
These two seem to be what we refer to in Genesis when they visit Abraham on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah in, you know, for destruction. Um, these angels b- uh, with Lot um, over and over. There's just this this interesting situation that appears, these two men. So we're pretty confident of the angelic nature of these two individuals. So um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that, but I I think that we've, we've, uh, when we see that it, it, it does, it happens fairly often. And we've uh, the, when we've gone through the book of Luke, it is, we see that happen in, in at uh, times when there's some some great announcement that God wants to make to 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 man in these situations in these particular contexts. But but uh, I love the fact that that they he, he gave them pretty clear uh, guidelines as to how this is going to happen. He you you saw him physically go up. He's going to come back physically. Uh, you saw him when he left. You're going to see him when he comes back. He it, it, he was on the I, uh, on on the Mount of Olives, I believe. So there, that you hear that a lot that he's going to return to the Mount of Olives. Uh, he 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 left in the presence of those that believed in him, and he's going to come back in the presence of yes. those that believe in him. Uh, there's just many things that they that these angels or men, as they call them told them, but yeah, definitely messengers from God. Yeah, absolutely. So tomorrow we're going to come back at this. We're going to finish off chapter one and we're going to deal with uh, what we would call active waiting, which is that during the time that the apostles were to wait for the spirit of God, they are electing the next apostle that is to join them. So we're going to look at those details. Again, as we started off this podcast, it's really important as you're reading through the book of Acts to keep your eyes focused on uh, things that are prescriptive in principle and things that are descriptive, that is instruction given to a certain group of people for a certain time uh, and really using a logical mind to understand yeah. and discern the difference between those two things. Cause God has given us a, uh, God has given us wisdom. He's given us understanding so that we might see these things. Great advice. Well, that's it for today, guys. And if you would please like, and share this podcast with your friends. And finally, remember second Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work.